Hello, and thanks for listening to Behind the Brand, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of some of Australia's most exciting small business success stories. I'm your host, Jen LA, a serial entrepreneur who loves talking all things small business. Each week, I'll sit down with an incredible founder and ask them to share it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly, on my mission to find out exactly what it takes to run a successful small business. From startups to scale-ups and international success stories, you'll hear it all right here on Behind the Brand. If you love what you're hearing and want more, find me on Instagram and TikTok at behindthebrand.podcast. Of course, sharing the good vibes is always appreciated. Share this episode on your stories or leave a podcast review. A little bit of love goes a long, long way. But for now, sit back, relax and enjoy while I take you behind the brand. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday and welcome to this week's episode of Behind the Brand. Now, today I am actually featuring one of my incredible clients, the team behind Francesca Jewelry and sitting down with the co-founder, Rachel Vasicek. Now, if you don't know Francesca Jewelry, I'm sure you will have seen them on social media. They are taking Australia by storm with their gorgeous designs and most recently, personalised collection that has been seen gracing the neck of some of Australia's biggest influences. Rachel sits down with me today and talks me through how the brand started off pulling 5am starts at Tasmania's Salamanca Markets, opened their first store in Tasmania and now have a booming e-commerce store and a business with giving back and donating to charity at its heart. Let's jump straight into the episode. Rach, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Um, Tell me a bit about yourself and the brand for people who may not know you. Yeah, so I'm Rachel and I am a co-owner of Francesca Jewellery with my sister Hannah. Um, A little bit about me, we grew up in northern New South Wales in a very small coastal town. There wasn't much going on there, so jewellery making quickly became a little hobby of my sister's and she eventually taught me how to make jewellery. So that's kind of how our jewellery journey started. We moved to Tasmania and that felt like the world was our oyster at that stage. It was like this big city with endless possibilities. And yeah, that's where Francesca was born. So from a little hobby to keep us busy in a coastal town to a little business in Hobart um, at the Salamanca Markets is how it all started. And we were kind of talking just before and we were saying how it's funny when you say I own a jewellery brand, people can really minimise <laughs> yeah. kind of what you do. But you guys have multiple stores, you have a booming online store, you have a celebrity following here in Australia, you've sold so many products. Is it just incredible to see how far this, and this is we're going to take you guys behind the brand, but just yeah. to see how it's grown, is it really incredible to look It's crazy. On? Like to this day, it's just so funny because – If you asked us early on if we expected it to be where it is now, we would have like laughed in your face because Hannah was studying science and law. It was never her, you know, vision to be a jewellery empire builder. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was the same. I was kind of focused on school at the time that it started. I was still, you know, 
doing learning my ABCs pretty much. Yeah. Um, I was that young. I was 12 when um, we started down at Salamanca Market. So 12. Yeah, 12. That, it's kind of illegal, right? I know. Isn't it like 14 and you nine know months? so funny? I got paid $50 for the whole day starting from 5 a.m. till 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I would do that for 50 bucks at 12 years old. I, I know. I know. Well, I mean, $50 was a lot to me. I was like, damn, what can I do with this money? Like So much. Just beats like cleaning mum's car for $10. Um. It was very, very funny. So, yeah, looking back at the journey, it's definitely, I mean, absolutely crazy that we are where we are. Well, let's let's go through the journey. So, I've kind of got the timeline mapped out. So, let's talk it kind of chronologically. So, 2011, this is when Hannah started making jewellery um, and deciding I'm going to sell it at the markets. Is it 2011? No, it was earlier than that. So this is what's really funny with our story. So Hannah and I look at, so 2011, yes, that's when we're like, that's when Francesca This is Francesca. This is Francesca. But before Before that, that, it was handmade by Hannah, which is like, it was just the dorkiest thing. We Like Hannah was designing products for like 60-year-olds, like pearl strand necklaces, semi-precious necklaces, like things that we would not be caught dead on the Mm -hmm. street wearing, Mm -hmm. which is just so funny. And um yeah, it was kind of in 2011 was the time when Hannah was like, you know what, I feel like we need to design things that we would wear mm-hmm. and we're going to do a rebrand. So it went from Handmade by Hannah, which was like years at the Salamanca Markets, to Francesca in 2011. And that was kind of like we started half the store was Handmade by Hannah, half of it was Francesca. And we kind of like slowly killed off Handmade by Hannah. Oh, did you kind of have like two different tablecloths, like yes. one for each side? You know what we brand? had? It was like we had like old ladies' um, necklaces in boxes on the left and on the right it was like those resin flower earrings. Yeah. I don't know if you remember. Mm-hmm. They were like mm-hmm. viral at the mm-hmm. time and they were on the right-hand side with completely different branding and they were what was like selling like crazy. So, yeah, it was kind of – it was funny. How the old transition. were you both in 2011? Oh my gosh, you're testing my maths right now. Okay, so it's 2022, was... <laughs> so 11 years ago. 15. I think I was like, yeah. So 15, this is 16. young. People yeah, there are in 15. I was. I just started working as a drive-through girl at Red Rooster. I love. That. Like I wasn't, you know, making and selling things yeah. and working on a business. No, it's so funny. And Hannah was. Yeah, so Hannah had just like finished school. She was in her early 20s, and yeah, just killing it. And she was teaching me everything. But this, like, this goes way back. Like, Hannah's entrepreneurial mind goes way back and, like, her, like, kind of, like, teaching me the ropes, it's, like, it's been ingrained in her forever. So it's so funny. This really reminds me of my sister and I. So I'm four and a half years older than Julia and the amount of markets and, like, activations and all these things I dragged her to. She's, like, yeah. little sisters are such a good sport with it's this so stuff. It's so funny. Like, it's funny looking back at when you're younger and picking up those things that you realise – well, that was like me trying to hustle. Like I remember when I was maybe like nine, I would go around to people's front yards and pick their flowers. This is no joke. And I would put bunches of flowers together and then knock on their door and sell them for 50 cents. (laughs) Okay. So I used to knock on people's doors and be like, hi. I was like, maybe I reckon not that much younger than that. And was like, hi, what do you want to buy? And they'd be like, what? I'd be like, what do you need? I'll find it for you. What do you want to buy? I love that. And they were like, one guy was like once, oh, I want a wooden. So this is, I'm 34. So like this is, you know, <laughs> early 90s. 
And he was like, I want a, like a wooden bowl. I didn't know what a wooden bowl was. He's like, you know, it's like a circle and it's made of wood. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And then I went and I got my dad to cut me a circle. I can still the no. guilt I feel. I can see him sweating, trying to use a hand sort of cut a circle. And I took it back to the guy and said, here you go. And he was like, what is this? And I was like, that's what you it's wanted. He's like, that is not a bowl. I was like, give me the money. <laughs> <laughs> that is so good. It is ingrained in people, right? Yeah, 100%. So you then were 15 in 2011 when Francesca kind of became Francesca yeah. and it was at the Salamanca market. Yeah. I've actually never been to Tassie. I've heard it's stunning, so obviously I need to get oh, down you there. Have to. Tell me about the markets. What is – because they're fairly iconic. Yeah. It's, so it's – the I think it's the largest outdoor market in the Southern Hemisphere, mm-hmm. which is crazy that it's in Hobart. It's all outdoors, um, so you freeze your ass off every yeah. Saturday mm-hmm. trying to sell jewellery to anyone who will stop. Mm-hmm. Um but there's just a buzz to it. It's very exciting. We had at the time so many tourists coming in, like you'd have the cruise ship stop and you'd have people from all around the world mm. stopping. And so that was a very exciting platform for us to kind of have this 30-second elevator pitch to the people who would stop at our table mm-hmm. and we'd tell them like, you know, we're at Tasmanian jewellery, like we'd make it all of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, perfect souvenir, take some for your yeah, kids. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so it was kind of like the perfect location, I guess, to get the brand out there mm-hmm. on a broad scale to like a whole different demographic of people. Mm-hmm. So the markets was definitely like the starting point of the brand. And you were doing this then on the weekends outside of high school. Yeah. Yeah. Early, I was like so 5 a.m. Yeah, yeah. I was so excited every Saturday to get down there and purely like using the FBOS machine to me was like a novel. Oh, like it was like That is so really exciting. cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when did you kind of think, all right, it's going well at the markets, but this is this is something legit. This yeah. this really could be a brand. When was that? Um, I think it was a little while after Francesca was born in the markets, mm-hmm. and we had this repeat clientele coming back every week to see what we had made that week. Mm-hmm. That was very special. It was kind of like, wow, we've got like a we've got a bit of a following. Um, and then it was 2013, 2014 that um, I went full time in the business mm-hmm. with Hannah. Hannah had landed a law job, and it was kind of this like turning point for her, where it was like you either stick with law or mm-hmm. you follow your passion. And so she was like, why would I slave away as a lawyer, you know, crazy hours every week when I can work one day at the markets and, Mm -hmm. you know, build my passion. Getting up at 5am is, you know, I feel like that's slaving away. Markets is is a different type of slaving away than being a lawyer. I've never been a lawyer, obviously. (laughs) I mean, the markets were like... I admire ourselves. Like looking back, I'm like, I can't believe you, you used to do that. Like, and it was the kind of thing where it was like, a stall wasn't guaranteed. Mm-hmm. You'd have to rock up at 5 a.m., yeah. freezing cold. Like we're talking Tassie, right? Yeah. There's like frost on the grass yep. in the morning. Yep. And it was just horrible. Anyway, so you'd run down, you'd put your name on the waiting list because we were too casual to have like a permanent site mm-hmm. there. We couldn't afford it to start yeah. off with. Um, yeah, it's like it's, you have to like commit to a whole, yeah, a whole yeah, yeah. season. Too much for us. So we like, we'd wait on the waiting list. We'd get our position. I'd run back to the car and I'd be like to Hannah, we've got a spot. And so then it'd be like lugging those plastic, like Kmart tubs worth of like mm-hmm. um, display and product mm-hmm. trestle down table. to our, the trestle table. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And the, um, the tent alone, like the nightmares we've had with like tents flying away. It was just like, there's just so much funny stuff from the I, markets. I felt so legit when I got my first hot pink tent. Oh my gosh, they do was make like, you feel I legit. I set it up in they? the backyard and I was like, I've made it. <laughs> Look this at me in my tent. 
watch me go. Yeah. So I think the turning point I think was when we got our first little shop on the outskirts of CBD. That was in 2013. Um, well, that's we, a big jump yeah, to go huge. from a market, a casual market store when you're just trying to get on the list every yeah. Saturday, Sunday morning to having an actual store. Yeah. Let's talk about, can I ask about funding a store? Yeah. That's, first of all, how is Hannah funding making the jewellery? Because you have to buy materials, right? Yeah. Did she have a part-time or you were using the, no, so the everything sales you'd like back in? Put it back into the company. Yeah. So everything you earned on the Saturday was put back in to buy mm-hmm. a new like pearls and new beads and mm-hmm. new supplies. So I guess that's why I was paid $50 an hour. No, not an hour. An hour. Oh, Sorry, $50 a day. I wish I was getting $50 Imagine. an hour. Um, no, no. So everything was reinvested back in. But with the first ever shop, I remember Hannah having a conversation with our mum and it was like, mum, I have to pay $400 a week rent. Mm-hmm. And that to us was like so much money. Yeah. And it was the commitment. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as you get a contract involved, it's like, oh my gosh, I have to like, I have to make that yeah, money. Exactly. And if I don't, it's coming out of my back pocket or mm-hmm. it's like, hey, can I get a loan from someone? Yeah. Um, so that was really hard. And like the first ever shop we fit out was like fantastic furniture, flat mm-hmm. packs. Yeah. It was so make do. Like I had magazine cuttings like stuck on the wall as like prints. So it was so makeshift. Um, and then after that, when we wanted to do a proper fit out, we went to the bank and Hannah like, you know, sold the brand story to them. And they're like, okay, but you're not actually that legit. Like we're going to give you this money. We don't believe that you're going to be able to pay it back. So we were knocked back so many times from banks to get loans Mm -hmm. and that was one of the hardest things and it got to the stage where Hannah actually had to sell her car to fund the fit out so I think it's just like early on the hustle is real it's so hard and the legitimacy of like trying to do anything in a world of like you know male dominated business Mm -hmm. is hard on the best of days, let alone when you're like a 20 something year old girl walking in and being like, Hey, I've mm-hmm. got a dream to have a jewelry brand. Yeah. We want to have this beautiful shop fit out. Can you lend us some money? Yeah. And they're like, uh, no. And they're probably thinking like shells on strings kind of yes. like, they're not really understanding the yeah. vision and the potential, which you guys obviously reach. Yeah. Um, in those early days, it's just the two of you. You've decided, okay, I'm in full time. I'm going to mm-hmm. do this as my career now. You didn't really have any business background, no, either not of at you, all. and you would have had to have learned everything, right? Yes. What kind of stuff did you have to learn? Like, how many hats did you wear in those early days? Oh my gosh, so funny. So, like, early days, Hannah and I did absolutely everything. So, between like manning the store to like making the jewelry, trying to market ourselves on this new platform called Instagram, oh, which I've I would thought was yeah, I definitely heard of it. Yeah. I thought it was like a photo editor app to begin yeah. with. There was just so many, and there's like customer care and there's emails and there's like just the day-to-day running of the business, Mm -hmm. which Hannah did so much of. So I think like early on, you can't afford to have any employees. Mm -hmm. You have to learn everything yourself and you're just like the jack of all trades. Mm -hmm. And so I think early on that was like one of the hardest things was like upskilling ourselves with no background of like I haven't studied marketing, I haven't done a business degree. It was Mm -hmm. like 100% self-taught but at the same time, that was so beneficial to us and growing the business mm-hmm. because I think it really ignited our passions within our roles in the company. I took on a lot of the marketing and the creative side and Hannah was much more the business mind. Mm-hmm. And so we found what we were naturally, you know, interested in learning about and um, what we were naturally good at. So 
early on it was like YouTubing everything, like everything to do with branding, everything to do with marketing and same with Hannah for business. So yeah, luckily she had her law degree behind her because I feel like we could have found ourselves in some pretty sticky situations without that. (laughs) Yeah. I think contract, all of that stuff. And you're fresh out of high school at this stage. I was on a gap year. So I wasn't even going to stay in the business. I was like, Hannah was like, come work for me for a year. We'll like see where we go with it. I'm going to go and do my law thing. And I was like, okay, like, you know what? A little break after school wouldn't go astray. And it has been the longest gap year of my life. How long is this this gap year been? It's a 10 year gap year. It's a gap decade. Yeah, gap decade. At that stage, were you just trading in store? Were you still doing markets? Did you go online? Like what was kind of your, what are the words, like channels at that time? So we did everything. The markets were our main revenue stream and we had our shop, which we kind of opened as we could because we obviously didn't have any staff, like retail staff to man the shop. So Mm -hmm. it was between Hannah and I managing, you know, manning the store and then we did create our first ever very very bad um website shopify yeah uh, at the time i think it was big commerce oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. which was horrible their back end is no offense big commerce your back end is really hard to deal with um but it would be like one order a week online yeah and that was the highlight of my week because i'd sit in the shop i'd wait for customers to come in i was bored out of my brain I was using my iPhone to like take photos to post on Instagram and then we'd get the one order come in and I was so excited to pack it and like put the little sticker on it. Anyway, it's just looking back, it's just so funny. How long after kind of doing that hustle with like still having the markets in the store, when did you decide enough was enough with the markets and let's do this not as a proper brand, there's nothing wrong with being a market brand, but yeah. being like, let's focus on retail and online and everything. Yeah, I think it was like after our first little pop-up shop on the outskirts of the CBD, we kind of got what we thought at the time was like our dream store mm-hmm. in Centrepoint in Hobart um, and we've since outgrown that. But it was when we did our proper fit out, it was kind of the start of our branding. So it was like, this is who we are. Mm -hmm. We are a legitimate, beautiful jewelry brand and having the market stall while it was amazing for, you know, new customers and like keeping that grassroots side of the brand Mm -hmm. alive. Mm -hmm. It just no longer, we could no longer live up to our branding expectations at the markets. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess that's why we kind of eventually made the markets a little bit redundant and we were offering you know our Hobart customers a beautiful experience in store Mm -hmm. that would have been I think like a happy sad occasion right saying goodbye to the market it was I remember like it was kind of yeah it just slowly like we'd just not appear each Saturday and then like we'd kind of have like once a month and then it would kind of filtered out and it was very sad because I feel like there wasn't a like defining moment where it was like okay, no more markets. It more so just became no longer achievable. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was a bit sad. But that's a hustle doing a market on a Saturday and having a store. Yeah, a lot of work, way yeah. too much. And it was Hannah that maintained the markets a lot. Like mm-hmm. she loved being down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think after 10 years, like it takes its toll on you. So it was time. 10 years is a really long time. Yeah. Like that is a very, very long time to stick at a market. Yeah. I mean, that deserves so, yeah. some recognition because that is – I did a few 
Yeah. I didn't do 10 years. I know. It's crazy. It's honestly, I mean, it has its perks, like working one day a week, who doesn't want to do that? Mm -hmm. But it was also like the days leading up to that where it was like making jewelry and like, Mm -hmm. you know, doing all of the running of the behind the scenes of the business. Yeah. So I guess at that time you're getting close to, I've got in here 2015 Telstra Business Awards. I thought it was 2014. I get that wrong all the time. Okay, so. No, say 2015 because I reckon it is that. I get my dates wrong all the time. So I pulled this from the website. Okay. One of us is is wrong. Um, One of us is wrong and if it's me, it's that awkward because I probably made that page on the website. It could be me. Okay, so, okay, at some point you did the Telstra Business Awards. (laughs) What made you, did you guys enter yourselves in that did you what made you want to do that and what did that kind of mean to you just yeah to be so recognized in terms of if we entered ourselves I'm I'm fairly sure one of our friends nominated us yeah um but then you have to do like the whole application process mm-hmm. which I don't know if you've ever entered a business award but man yeah. like and you should if you're uh, listening and you have a business you should I you should but sit down with a cup of tea because you're going to oh, be there for like hours it takes a while it's such a process yeah. um But yeah, so at some stage we filled out that application and it was so funny because I still remember going to the awards with Hannah. We were put at the very back of the, um, you know, the room and Hannah and I here going, okay, there's no way that we've won because like we're at the back, like we're so not important. And so Hannah and I were like, let's just start smashing the champagne. So we're like here drinking the champagne and we're like, oh yeah, like this is fun. Like let's just enjoy this night. Anyway, it got around to the, um, the award and it was like, Francesca and Hannah and I both looked at each other and were like, you're joking. Like, no, we did not just win this. And we both stood up and we were so flustered. Maybe the champagne was hitting a little yeah. harder. Yeah. And we actually faced each other and headbutted each other on camera. <laughs> it was the, like it was one of the most embarrassing moments because we both didn't know which way to go onto the stage. Like, oh here we are being like, there's no way we're winning. And then all of a sudden the camera swings onto us, we headbutt. And we get up on stage and accept the award. It was just like, I think it was just one of the funniest like pinnacle moments of like showing the world that like, yes, we run this like very successful company, but we're also massive dorks and we're just, we're real people. We really don't have our shit together, like 99% of the time. And that was just like such a funny, like key moment for us. Anyway, winning the award was amazing. It really like, I guess it cemented for us the legitimacy of the brand yeah, um, and that people are really going to take us seriously now. And it did, it put us like on this national stage where we went to the national business awards and we met amazing people and it was like, oh, we actually are a proper company. Mm -hmm. Like people recognize that we have done the hard yards. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, that was a very, very, I guess, positive turning point for us to believe in ourselves. Mm -hmm. People need to know that awards should always be part of your PR strategy even if you're small I won an award I'm just I won an award um in the it was like food magazine awards or something like that and I had at that point I was still hand stamping my packaging with like painted stamps right like pretty (laughs) sure the samples I took up there were not even dry I was sitting on a table with brands that were they had like celebrity backers. They were in yep. like Coles and Woolies and all of that. Yep. And I still won. And <gasps> I just was in shock. I and love that. I, what they, these awards are, it's not about how big you are. 
It's not about how powerful you are. It's about your potential and your idea and the work you've put in. So just know that you should always put yourself forward for awards. And even if you don't win, the people you meet on the process, the industry recognition, more people knowing about your brand, it's so important. And lots of them are free to enter. It just, as you said, it takes so much time. I really encourage people to look into that as an avenue. I 100% agree because it was definitely one of the moments where we were like, wow. Like, I can't believe, like, we didn't expect to win. Mm -hmm. We were so young at the time and it was definitely something that, like, really, like, skyrocketed us to, Mm -hmm. you know, believe in ourselves. And then about a year later, so I think 2016, (laughs) 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 this is a rough timeline, but you decide, okay, we've got the store in Tassie, the online store let's, I want to say cross the ditch, but that means New Zealand, I think. Let's, the bass. Let the bass cross the, Go to the It's actually called going to the mainland. Is it? Yeah. Okay. So like everyone in Tassie calls like the mainland, mainland. I don't actually have another word for it, the big island, which is so funny. Okay. So you went to the mainland. <laughs> you went to the mainland. How so bad funny. does that sound? I didn't realise that was a thing until it's now. Thing. I was today years old when I realised that. So but embarrassing. You opened a store in Melbourne Central. Yeah. Let's talk about why you chose Melbourne. Yeah. What it was like starting interstate when you live. Were you still living in Tassie at that stage? Yeah, still in Tassie. And then how do you fund a second store? It was honestly like it was a big dream of ours. It was kind of like the next step to get out of Tassie to like be a national brand. So early on, Hannah and my dream was like we want to be a globally recognised jewellery brand. So obviously the next step out of Tassie was the mainland. (laughs) (laughs) Back to the motherland. Anyway. So it was kind of like, okay, Melbourne at the time was like very recognised as a fashion fashion capital Mm -hmm. of Australia and we just really wanted to make our mark. So it was really like the first place we wanted to open our second store. Mm -hmm. So that was obviously a very daunting process for us, like even funding the store, let alone the rent, was like very scary. Mm -hmm. Um, But we actually got the idea of crowdfunding our shop fit out. Amazing. So we went to our audience who were like, you know, this is our dream. We want to be in Melbourne. We can't really make it happen. What if we sell specific pieces of jewellery and you know Mm -hmm. that by buying that bracelet, Mm -hmm. you're going to be a part of, you know, getting this small Tasmanian business to the mainland. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. And opening our dream store in Melbourne. So that process was like, we were kind of like, will people get behind it? Won't they? They did. Yeah. And it blew our mind because it was just like, we raised enough money. Obviously, we had to make the bracelets and everything. So, it was essentially just selling product. Mm-hmm. But it was like giving the product a purpose and our customers got so excited by it. They were like, let's get an update on the shop. Like, where are we at? And so, we'd send these emails and it was like, here's where we're at. We've secured our location. Like, we're going to go and like open the shop now. And it was just super exciting. So, I don't think we could have done that without the customers. And then 2017, the new shop in Tassie, the flagship. Yeah. Okay, I actually always get confused with this term. What, like, what's the difference between a flagship and, <laughs> and a normal, a normal store? Shop. I feel like I should know that. I worked in retail for a really long time. You know what's really funny? Because flagship stores are like your iconic store. So, like, Glossier, for example, has their flagship store mm-hmm. in New York and it's like their destination store. Okay. So, Hobart flagship store was like, at the time, again, it's so funny because looking at it now, I'm like, oh, I hate the fit out. We need to change it. <laughs> but at the time, it was like our dream fit out. It's okay. like this is what's going to put us in, on the mark, like, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of branding and the shop and everything. And it was such a big store. So I think that was why we called it our flagship store. Mm-hmm. It's like our Hobart flagship store. 
I think we just felt special saying it, to be honest. There's nothing yeah. special about it. And it's also going to, like, it almost manifests that you're going to have more stores exactly. after that. Yeah. This is so it's kind of like, of this ones. is our big shop. This is the one. Like, come and shop with us here. So I think that's kind of, yeah, why we called it our flagship store. And that was a really big dream come true for you guys yeah. at the time. Yeah, because it was so huge. It was, like, such a epic fit out at the time. At this point, you have your new dream flagship store, which mm-hmm. now you want to renovate anyway. Yeah. You've got the Melbourne store. You're not doing the markets anymore. You've got the e-com store. Yeah. You guys do pop-ups yeah. as well. You've got one at the moment yeah. at Chatty, yeah. Chadston, the fashion capital <laughs> in Melbourne. Tell me about the thought process why you do pop-ups. Because I yeah. think especially after COVID, I guess, so many people started online businesses and we saw the power of online and e-commerce. Why were you like, let's do more physical stores? Yeah, so pop-ups are a huge part of our um, strategy in terms of new customer acquisition. So essentially it was Hannah and my dream to expand and, you know, very early on we wanted to have bricks and mortar stores in every single, you know, capital city. We Mm -hmm. wanted to like make the expansion really, you know, global essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, Taking on Melbourne and Hobart stores, we realised that it was just such a huge responsibility in terms of staffing. Mm -hmm. You know, you lock in for these really scary long periods of time in centres that you don't even know if are going to work for you. Mm. And so that in itself is a very daunting process. So the idea of pop-ups was essentially initially to start, you know, testing the waters in different centres to see if we could build a um, customer audience Mm -hmm. in those areas. So the pop-up was more so initially to kind of test the waters in locations we would ideally want to land in permanently. Mm -hmm. So Chatty was, you know, one of our first ever pop-ups. I think it was actually High Point, which is where we popped up the first time. Okay. And that was a really good learning because at High Point, it's quite slow. We don't get mm-hmm. the foot traffic we want. So that was really good. So it was kind of like we did a little six-week stint there and then we um, moved it to Chatty. Well, it's like trial without the commitment, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then when we launched at Chatty, it was so cool because what we were noticing was like we were gaining these new customers and then the customers were going online. So within, you know, a few you know, months of being at Chadston, our online, um, I guess, customer audience was mostly in Melbourne. So it went from being all Tassie Mm -hmm. to suddenly we've got an even bigger audience online for Melbourne. And so I think for advertising, you know, brand awareness, Mm -hmm. everything, pop-ups were just such an exciting new way for Mm -hmm. us to get the brand out there at a low risk commitment. So Mm -hmm. we did chatty, we're back there again this year. We like to pop up around, you know, key times of trade for us, so Mother's Day or Christmas. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's been a huge part of our journey. So we're hoping to pop up in Sydney at some stage, mm-hmm. Brisbane, Perth, and really kind of like give our customers in those locations that experience in store with us mm-hmm. um, without committing to a scary, you know, three mm-hmm. to five-year lease in a one location. And these pop-ups, I actually remember looking at them and considering doing it back in my business day. You can pop up in the weeks before Christmas or, like you said, dates that are significant for your brand. Yeah. Anyone can kind of do – obviously, there's ones that look more permanent than there's ones that are, you know, kind of just a few shelves and people traffic stopping and and doing all of that. And that's honestly – I used to work for a lady, very, very clever – 
who still around and has she's always on the morning shows doing like that kind of TVSN vibe stuff. Yeah. Um, but she that's how she built her business was she would do one to two weeks at a time pop-ups yeah. in all different this is I reckon 2005 in all different shopping centers one at a time and it was yeah really good way never ended up having a permanent store but her whole strategy was pop-ups yeah and they would just be in different locations all the time you know what I think they like even Hannah and I back before we did pop-ups we'd kind of turn our nose up at them and be Mm -hmm. like oh they're like tacky Mm -hmm. like little you know kiosks Mm -hmm. in that's a good one yeah little kiosks and Hannah and I were like, oh, we'd never want to do that. Mm-hmm. But when we like designed our beautiful fit out, mm-hmm. it was like, wow, like this is actually really feasible. And what I was thinking, I was just like, fire out, this would be the perfect way for a small business to get their name out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've even got friends who have startups and I'm like, do a pop-up mm-hmm. in a shopping center. Like it's kind of like a market store, but you yeah. get to trade seven mm-hmm. days a week. So yeah. it's really cool. Do you use the same fit out each time you pop up? Yeah. So we do um, now. We've, we're currently doing a little locket activation at Chadston, mm-hmm. which is super cool. Mm-hmm. Go in and print your photo. It's a one product pop up. In the past, we've done our whole product line offering, mm-hmm. um, but we're finding these single product, you know, customized products are the way to go. Yeah. Do you think it's easier for customers who are in I guess in a rush but you probably don't have their attention for too long it's really easy to kind of visually communicate what you're offering and it's you know it's our best-selling product so it's kind of a no-brainer and they see it and they're like yep slam dunk like that's the perfect gift so I think rather than you know the paradox of choice and having like over Mm -hmm. 3,000 different product options Mm -hmm. yeah um, yeah the lockets are the way to go. Let's talk a little bit about the lockets because they've kind of become your signature yeah. at the moment. You launched them last year, yep. 2021. Yep. You've sold over 20,000 I know, of it's them. crazy. Is it just to think that 20,000 people, yeah. that's like, okay, I'm not very good at ratios here, <laughs> like a third of the MCG. That doesn't actually sound that yeah. exciting. It's like, like, like that. putting it <laughs> like a sport quote with a yeah. jury quote. I'm like, um, I'm, I'm trying so not into see. AFL. But, yeah, the MCG. But 20,000 people yeah. wearing them. When you launched, did you have an inkling that this product might take off the no way it did for the way. brand? You know what's even funnier? I designed the locket during lockdown in my mum's living room. So it was like we're going full circle again back to like designing within yeah. the family home. So I was like in mum's living room. I was designing the like year aheads collection mm-hmm. and I just happened to design two lockets, mm-hmm. which at the time to me I wasn't even like let's be at, let's you know print the photo for the customer, let's do this. It wasn't until the product landed that I was like oh you know what's really annoying is when the customer has to like try and figure out how to make a photo really small yes I how do you do that I don't know it's so hard I don't know it's like I actually remember when I was younger I'd be like how the hell do you get like a photo to be so small mm. anyway so I was like let's cut that issue out for the customer and let's do it ourselves mm-hmm. in-house so definitely didn't go into even the design aspect with the motive to like sell 20,000 lockets I thought it was just going to be like a cute little necklace that people could wear and then, yeah, suddenly we built out the user experience online and we had this whole personalization component to it and it just went off. And I just couldn't believe that it was like leading the way in that, you know, in the jewelry industry to bring back lockets. Mm-hmm. Like they haven't been around for so many years. I just think it's like such like a Prouds or a Michael Hill thing, oh. like tacky little lockets, oh, whereas no. these are like beautiful yeah. pieces and keepsakes my mum has been wearing a locket necklace since mid-1980s no the same one she wears it every single day and it's silver it's engraved with her name Cute. on the front and then it has two photos inside she wears it every day They're so and special. I have seen it since mid-1980s and then when I saw what you guys were doing 
And I thought, what a – obviously, there's that whole nostalgic 19 – not 90s – 90s, 80s kind of yeah. vibe coming through fashion and pop culture anyway. But yeah. kind of harnessing that through jewellery and personalisation as well is so special and has, I think, gained so much momentum recently. Mm. Like, it's so clever and what a beautiful gift to yeah. give people. And it just brings in, you know, Hannah and my mission once again to make jewelry have meaning so we very early on from the outset we didn't want to just be a fashion brand Mm -hmm. of high turnover products Mm -hmm. we wanted people to connect meaning to the piece and really have that sentimental connection because to me jewelry everything that I own every every piece that I owned before even having a jewelry Mm -hmm. company was sentimental Mm -hmm. it was like you know from a loved one or Mm -hmm. from my dad or my mom and it was Mm -hmm. like jewelry holds such special meaning to so many people that we really wanted to make sure that that was our motive Mm -hmm. when you started doing that personalization part to the brand do you think things kind of clicked in place for you a bit absolutely because early like before that we were doing like we we went through a phase where we did this shoot in Bali and we were going to be you know like the Sabo skirt of jewelry we wanted to be like really fashionable forward and like you know Australian designers leading the way Mm -hmm. um but it quickly you know we quickly realized that our audience just didn't relate to that Mm -hmm. it was like we were this you know brand that started the markets people loved the meaning behind the company Mm -hmm. and so then it was kind of like okay how do we give meaning to our jewelry now and that's when Francesca Create was born which is like you know customize your own pieces Mm -hmm. make it you know have meaning connect the little charm meanings Mm -hmm. to the piece and yeah it really changed the whole, I guess, vision and mission behind the brand. Mm. And I think the pickup was so incredible. It wasn't just, oh, God, normal. how do you just differentiate people like me and my friends and my mum wearing them? You have like some of Australia's biggest influencers proudly wearing them yeah. on social media. Did that make a difference? Huge difference. It was almost like just brand ambassadorship, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And again, like influencers were so new at the time, like that Francesca Create was born, but it was genuinely like people contacting us being like, we love what you're doing, your product. Can we, you know, design a piece and share why we designed it? Mm -hmm. And it was when these stories kept coming through our DMs and our customer care and, you know, the girls in store retail wise having these beautiful stories shared as to why, Mm -hmm. you know, someone chose a dragonfly for their Mm -hmm. necklace because Mm -hmm. it reminded them of their dad who loved dragonflies. Like Mm -hmm. things like that that just were like whoa like this is amazing and then having influential people Mm -hmm. you know designing pieces and having them share it on their platform as to why and sharing their stories was just absolutely amazing for Mm -hmm. us now obviously you haven't gotten to the point you're at now still just you and hannah you've had to hire people we absolutely (laughs) otherwise you're either crazy or superhuman yeah how many people are in your team now i think we have about 63 Women on our team now. Yeah, it's crazy. That's a lot. That's like two school classes of people. (laughs) There you go. It is. It's it's a lot. Um, And even initially starting off, like, you know, we'd add one person to the team and then that would grow and that would grow. And it was kind of like the business became something so much bigger than just Hannah and I. Mm -hmm. It became this epic community. We call it our Frank fam. Mm -hmm. And we've got, you know, most of the women in our business are like, so we've got nearly like 60 women under 30 years of age. So we've got a very young, Mm -hmm. you know, staff, team, family, whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call it. Yeah. And yeah, it's just crazy to think that we grew from just like, you know, the two of us to this huge team now of women who are just like leading the way in their industries. They're like, very much yeah paving the future for Francesca and who was your first hire what was the role 
Well, our first ever employee would have been down at the markets helping us sell. Mm -hmm. But then the the little shop, it was definitely like we had some girls helping us in the retail space, but then also doing the graphic design and the making of the product. You probably need to hire people as well who are keen to work somewhere where it's a bit gritty and you uh, you yes. have to work outside of your job description. Um, <laughs> that was so funny. It's like our first ever office was above our shop on the outskirts, the CBD, and it was honestly just like the grossest space to work in. It was like yeah. there were beads all over the carpet. There was just like pin needles like sticking up out of the carpet. I just – it was an OH&S nightmare. Oh, God. <laughs> I can't believe that we actually like made it this far. <laughs> Actually, you told me a story before about having the store and you walk in one day in the morning. Oh Can gosh. you just tell that story? It just talks of things where you're like, I can't believe I made it this far yeah. when I did this. This is such a funny story because I was just talking about like the history of Frank and our stuff ups over time. And it's like there was this one time in our first ever shop that we had, you know, taken on. It was tiny. It like barely had like a lock on it. It was just it was so makeshift. Anyway, one day I turn up, we open the shop at 10 a.m. on a Saturday and I park my car at the front. I'm looking in the shop. I'm like, there are customers in there already. Like, who like are these inside, people? Like yeah, through in, the doors. In the shop. I was like, who are these people in the shop? Oh, Hannah must be in there. Whatever. I walk into the shop and there's no lights on. Like nothing has been opened. And I looked at the customers. I was like, has anyone served you yet? And they're like, no, we've just been like waiting for someone to turn up. I was like, okay, bear with me one moment. I ran upstairs to the studio and I was like, Hannah's got to be in here somewhere. She wasn't. I came back down and I was like, um, okay, how can I help you? Anyway, the customers leave and I ring Hannah and I'm like, so I got to work today and there were people in the shop. What's up with that? And she was like, oh my gosh. She was like, I came in at 5am to collect stuff for the markets and I've left the door completely open. So between 5am and 10am. People are just walking in. Just people walking in. Nothing was taken. It was an absolute miracle. But yeah, there's just been some very, very funny times. That probably leads me to my next question, which I ask everyone, which is about your lows and your highs of the business and the challenges and hurdles you've faced in kind of making it this far. You told me about another maybe not so fortunate in, – in, you're laughing like it's funny. It's it not is funny. so funny because I just like – I know exactly what you're going to say and it's just like – so we had this time where – this is not funny. At the time, I'm sure Hannah was like a lot more stressed than I was because I was so much younger. I was like, ha-ha, lol, like can't believe that happened. But whereas Hannah's like the business mind, she's like, how do we fix this? Yep. So what happened was similar, same shop where, you know – customers were coming in when I wasn't even in there was we rocked up and the door had been like jimmied open and there was just like no jewelry left on our shelves and the till was thrown across the room and Hannah and I were like oh shit we've been robbed (laughs) and the worst part was is it like everything that like all of our stock is like what you see is what you get like Mm -hmm. there is nothing else to it like the stock that's on the table is the stock that we've like spent weeks making Mm -hmm there is nothing else to replace it with. And it was just all taken. And so then Hannah and I looked at each other and we're like, and Hannah goes, we don't have insurance. We can't afford it. (laughs) So big lesson early on, like just get insurance. Get insurance. Go into debt to have insurance because replacing all of our stuff was just such a hard thing. And that I think that was one of the moments that most people would have just given up because mm-hmm. it was so expensive. Like we well, had, you're hand making, yeah, hand making it all had no money to our names, and everything had been taken. So I think that was almost like a learning curve in itself to be like, 
okay, cool, we can push past times of trial, but also get insurance. Get insurance. <laughs> oh, there's there's a real lesson in that, and it is to get insurance. Yeah. Would you say that's kind of your, on, I guess, in terms of your business journey, the lowest kind of business, businessy low you've had? I think there's been a lot of lows. Like even Hannah and I learning to work together has been, we've had so many lows here. Like we're two sisters, like mm-hmm. sisters on the best of days, like argue and mm-hmm. fight. I think learning how we can, you know, coexist in this space, love each other as sisters endlessly, Mm -hmm. but also, you know, run a company Mm -hmm. has been such a difficult process. Um, You know, we've had mediation. We've gone to like full on like brain profiling counsellors who like show Hannah and I who we are in like Mm. this world separate to each other because so often you're like, why aren't you just like me? Like, you know, get me. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, we were raised the same, but we are completely different people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so running a business with someone like that is just a very, very emotionally challenging time. And there have just been times where, you know, you want to throw your hands up in the air and you're like, I just want to love you like my sister. I don't mm-hmm. want you to be my business partner right now. And I think looking back, that is definitely one of the hardest things that we had to overcome. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it made us grow so much as people and I wouldn't change it for the world. And we've come to this beautiful mutual understanding of who each other are as people mm-hmm. but it hasn't come without its trials of like bawling our eyes out to our parents being like I can't take her at the moment mm. and like it's just been so hard but I think that and then just you know always feeling stretched and pulled in a hundred different directions mm-hmm. as you know trying to be everything to everyone it's always a very hard um I guess component of being mm-hmm. a business owner mm-hmm. it's like you you don't stop you don't stop thinking about no. it I was literally talking to my housemate this morning and I said to her do you ever have so she owns her own business I said do you ever like wake up in the middle of the night and then just start problem solving for your business mm-hmm. and you can't stop and you're like I need to write this down it just does not yeah. stop so I think yeah working out that work-life balance and you know emotions and everything mm-hmm. that comes has definitely been hard so running a business with a friend in itself yeah. can be really challenging but I guess you almost have the option there of ending the friendship, right? Mm-hmm. But you guys are sisters. Yeah. So I can imagine it would kill feel like. Sister. Let I, me tell you yeah, that much. So I would feel like there's so much yeah. more riding on it. Well, they always say don't go into business with a like, family member, mm-hmm. number one. And there's been so many times where I'm like, damn, I should really have listened to that advice. But at the same time, there's like it's a kind of a double-edged sword because, yes, you can't get rid of them. Like they're your sister. Mm-hmm. You can't like just be done with the relationship. Yeah. But that almost in itself is why we've survived Mm -hmm. because it's like, okay, we're siblings, we get over it. You know, there'd be times where Hannah and I'd be like screaming at each other in the car and then we'd get out, walk into the office and we'd have to be completely fine with each other. So I think that almost it plays to its like, you know, positives and negatives. Mm -hmm. And what do you think has been kind of the highest high? It doesn't need to be a singular occurrence, but what's kind of been the thing you're most proud of or – in, in your whole business journey? Oh my gosh, there's so many different facets of this. Even just having a team, there's times. So recently for me, it was, we had our f- whole business team meeting and we had, you know, everyone on Zoom in Hobart and then Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And I was just looking at everyone. I was like, I can't believe like these are our people. Mm-hmm. Like it blows my mind yeah. that like we have a team because at the start it was just us and it was kind of like forever I thought that was just all it was going to be it was just Mm -hmm. going to be Hannah and I as this little hobby and to look at a huge team and be like you are a part of like our vision Mm -hmm. that to me is just epic so that's been a huge highlight and then 
um, within the team is like we've got a beautiful team of Eritrean African women who we hired a few years back. Um, they couldn't speak English. It was kind of going to be a pathways program for mm-hmm. them to come into the business mm-hmm. and get work experience. And then – Are they you know, refugees? Yeah, they're refugees. Mm-hmm. So um, they came to Australia, had nothing to their name. They couldn't speak English and it was really hard for them to find work. Of um, course. And so Hannah and I heard about this and we're like, well, anyone can beat a bracelet. Let's onboard them into our team. And so – a few years later and we've got like this beautiful team of in-house beaters still making our product and these women who have come to Australia as refugees and now they can speak fluent English. They're a part of a beautiful community of people. It's just amazing. So again, like it comes back to the team. I think every achievement is mm-hmm. just like epic to see these women. I do also, as your publicist, want to <laughs> highlight your charitable donations yes. that you've made. I just think it's so important to talk yeah. about you guys have now donated around about a million dollars. Yeah. That is huge. If, yeah. Okay. So <coughs> apart from our team, that's definitely the second biggest like achievement. Um, Hannah and I early on were like, we can't just sell jewelry. There has to be more to this. So, yep. and we had to define what success looked like for us going forward. Yep. You know, you've got to have your beacon that you're yep. looking forward to. And to us, that was just giving back as much as we could to our community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, over the years, we've nearly donated a million dollars to Australian charities through our awareness bracelets and our um, human trafficking collection that we do. So that to us is epic I cannot believe that we've been able to give that much money back Mm -hmm. to the community Mm -hmm. um but it's through our audience like they love it yeah and so without them purchasing and getting behind these bracelets there's no way we'd be able to do that Mm -hmm. so it's just a very big testament to the kind of audience we have yes we very much know our customer and they all have huge hearts and they love to have you know purpose in their product Mm. and with the bushfires you raised a hundred thousand dollars in six hours yeah that was crazy I remember sitting there refreshing Shopify and looking at it was like 20 grand within like 40 minutes of this bracelet going on sale to give back to the bushfires and then I'll just keep refreshing and then it got to 100k and it was so funny because I wanted to keep going I didn't want to make the product sell out but then the production team was like Rachel we actually don't have the beats like we can't (laughs) physically make any more bracelets and I was like but this is so fun seeing it all going up and so that was a hundred percent um donated that's the thing I guess maybe that's what you know there are and there's nothing wrong anything that's donated to charity is of course amazing and generous because it's optional a lot of companies don't do it but it's a hundred percent of not to profits no if you buy the bracelet for yeah I'm gonna make up number fifty dollars fifty dollars is being donated and that comes you guys aren't making any money off that when we're losing money essentially so it's and I think that's one thing that I think is so big that doesn't get spoken about enough is just that the time and energy that goes into making those bracelets Mm -hmm. to put on sale, the whole Mm -hmm. marketing team involved, the production team, you know, everything, and then to give 100% of that, that for the bushfires was just huge. Even making the bracelets was like logistically a nightmare. (laughs) Yeah. And even this year, 50,000 for the floods. Yeah. So we had to be a little bit more considered in our approach this year because we we literally nearly broke ourselves with the bushfire bracelet. So we were a little bit slower to the game, but yeah, still got to 50 grand. And so it's incredible. It's super exciting. It's incredible that you're doing that, especially when you don't need to. Yeah. And we don't need to, but at the same time we do because Hannah and I just can't fathom, like they're just being the jewelry component, sale component to Mm -hmm. our brand. Um, For us, we needed a lot more purpose. Yeah. Now, I'm throwing in a new question, and this is going to be the first time this question has been asked on this podcast, and I am going to ask it of every guest every week. If you were starting a brand right now, a whole new brand, 
what, what would you do first? <laughs> What's kind of that most important? I'm going to answer it for me while yeah. you have a think because I haven't prepped you for this question. If I was starting a brand right now from scratch, a product-based brand, the first thing I would do is make sure I'm rock solid on my cost of goods and what price I'd be selling things at based on how I want the business to grow. So where I need to accommodate wholesale or distribution prices, because that's where I came undone. And I think in a few episodes time, I will tell my story of what happened to me, but that's where I came undone. What would you do? I can answer this so clearly because I'm going through it at the moment. Okay. Um, I would say, make sure you are exceptionally passionate about the product that you are about to release. Mm -hmm. So yes, cost of goods, everything like that's completely not in my, even like my mental space when I'm thinking of a brand, because I get so excited about the creatives. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say the business side of things like you, but I would also say, make sure that it's actually something that you are so beyond obsessed with that even if you're not making money, it's a hobby and it's fun for you mm-hmm. because I've recently gone down the route of creating a new brand with all of my spare time. Mm-hmm. And You've I've got realized, nothing else to do. No, I've got nothing else to do. I'm so bored. Um, <laughs> but I realised whilst it's an amazing product and I loved creating the branding, I'm not obsessed with the industry. Mm-hmm. And so my passion for it has literally like gone off the cliff. Mm-hmm. And I realised, I sat down and I was like, why didn't I design, like, to create something to do with homewares? Like, I love homewares. Why didn't I go down that route? Because it's, like, a genuine passion of mine. Mm-hmm. So I would just say make sure that whatever you're getting into, you are completely obsessed with the industry or the product or the genre mm-hmm. because you have to literally be obsessed mm. to get a product up, off the ground or yeah. a brand off and the especially, ground. and especially, I mean – I guess if you look at from the first time, you know, Handmade by Hannah was launched, how long ago was that? Like you've got to be passionate about an industry and a product to make it last that long. 100%. And I would also say make sure you create a brand, not a product. Yes. That is so important for if, I mean, if you want the brand to last 10 years like we have at Francesca, Mm -hmm. you have to have more than just a product. You Mm -hmm. have to create an ethos, a brand, you know, the whole universe of your brand rather Mm -hmm. than just the one little product. I think we had a very similar conversation in episode one of this podcast with Phoebe from The Blow, who is an incredible branding specialist and the blow in the memo hurt two brands and that's what she said it's about creating a brand that people can connect with yeah it's not so much about a product no not at all there are so many products out there in the mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. there are very few brands that mm-hmm. you look at and you're like I get more than just you know I get a feeling associated with that brand mm-hmm. rather than just the product so I would 100% say be obsessed with the what you're creating yeah and then create a brand not a product I'm also going to say that that's also a great piece of advice. So I'm not going to ask you the advice question because I think that's a very good piece of advice. But what I will ask you that I ask everyone to finish up is if you could go back and do it all over again, would you? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm like, I wish I could have shown my younger self the future of Francesca because there's, I mean, there are things I would do differently. Don't get me wrong. But I would be so excited for, you know, the years to come and it would make all of the hard times so worth it. Mm -hmm. So looking back, I would 100% 
10 times over, do it again. Amazing. And if people want to find you and find out more about you, where can they find you and the brand on socials? Well, I'm Rachel Vasacek on Instagram, which is a bit of a mouthful. You were even like, how do I, <laughs> how do I say that? <laughs> but um, francesca.com.au is our Instagram handle where you can find us or www.francesca.com.au. Thank you for joining me and sharing your story with me. I feel so blessed that I've had a chance to work with you and have a chance to meet you. We're actually meeting today for the first time I in know, person, it's crazy. even though we've known each other for a few months now. Um, what you guys is doing incredible. The passion you have for your work is incredible. The opportunities you are, the way you're giving back is incredible. Um, you guys should be very, very proud oh, of what thanks. you've achieved. So thank thanks you for, for joining me. me. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Behind the Brand. Now, guys, if you loved today's episode, I would love if you would leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts. And for your time, I will send you a copy of a press release template that you can use in your small business straight away. So all you need to do is pop onto the Apple Podcasts app, leave a written review, take a screenshot, head over to Instagram and DM it to me over at at behindthebrand.podcast and I will email you your press release template. Sound like a good deal? Talk soon.